stand on the top of Mount Carmel and you look down on the plain of Megiddo, the place where Revelation 16 says Armageddon, the final great battle between God's forces and the forces of evil will take place. And that's it in the far distance. But probably the most memorable thing about Mount Carmel is that it was on top of Mount Carmel where the prophet of Elijah faced off against 450 prophets of Baal to determine who the people of God of Israel should worship. And that's Elijah's statue. And today we're going to take time to talk about that confrontation that Elijah was a part of because it has a lot to teach us today. So I want us to take a few minutes and we're going to look at what God tells us in 1 Kings chapter 18 and discover there's some powerful lessons for us to learn today from this encounter that Elijah had with Ahab the king and the prophets of Baal. The first thing you need to know is this. The Lord sent Elijah to a people who had wandered away from God. Most of the time when people read this story, they kind of think of it as a conflict between Elijah and Ahab, as though Ahab ascended to the throne and Ahab along with his wife Jezebel suddenly just turned the people away from God. All of a sudden, it was against the law to worship the Lord God. All of a sudden, Baal was the only God that was to be worshiped. But that's not the truth at all. The truth is, Israel had been drifting away from the Lord for a long time. Ahab was the sixth king of the kingdom of Israel. The sixth king since Jeroboam had led the people of Israel to separate from the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and form their own kingdom. And since the time of Jeroboam till the time of Ahab, there had been five other kings who had ruled in Israel. And here's the thing about it. And every one of them led the people further away from worshiping God. If you read 1 Kings, one of the things you'll discover is along that lineage of the leaders of Israel between Jeroboam and Ahab, there's not one who is named who is described as someone who sought the Lord or led the people to seek the Lord. Usually you would hear something like this, and this king led the people to do what was evil in the sight of God. Ahab was the one who led them to completely abandon the worship of God, but it was a process that had been coming for years and years. As generations had gone by, the people of Israel had progressively taken step by step by step, by step, by step to drift away from God until the point that they'd almost forgotten him altogether. Because that's kind of how things usually work, isn't it? You can't read this story without realizing that when nations and families and individuals find themselves far from the Lord, they usually drift away from him rather than suddenly turning away from him. Most of the time when you find people have allowed themselves to become far from God, whether you're talking about in your own spiritual life, whether you're talking about the life of your family or the life of your nation, the life of people of, who name the Lord, what you discover is when they find themselves far away from God, it's not because one day they woke up and said, that's it, I'm through, I'm not worshiping God anymore. 
Instead, what seems to happen is progressively, a step at a time, we allow ourselves to drift away from giving the Lord the place he deserves in our lives. People turn their hearts away, a decision, an action, a priority at a time. Usually at the beginning, it doesn't seem like that big a thing. You know, I'm just going to go my own way and do it the way I want to for a little while. But what happens when people drift away from the Lord is this. Every step is a little bit easier to take than the one before it. You know, the first time you begin to drift away from God, that first step is a difficult, challenging thing to do. And you struggle within your conscience, and you know, I'm not doing what pleases God, and yet you take that step. And then the next step gets a little bit easier, and the next one gets a little bit easier. And before long, you find out it's just really not that hard to allow your life to drift away from the Lord. He becomes one priority among others. Eventually, no priority at all. Now, that's the bad news. But the good news is that when we drift away, the Lord does not abandon us. I read this story, and I realize by the time Israel got to the point of being ruled by Ahab, and Ahab had led the people to turn away from God, if I were the Lord, that would be the point where I would say, I'm through with these people. I'm done with them. I'll go somewhere else. I'll lead people that want to listen. I don't have anything else to do with these people of Israel. But the Bible says God did not give up on Israel. In fact, what it says is God was willing to do whatever he had to do to get their attention and turn them back to himself. Now understand, I'm not saying that it was easy, and I'm not saying it wasn't painful what I'm saying is this, what he does may be painful, but it's the spiritual surgery that repairs damaged hearts. When we allow ourselves to drift away from God, one of the things that's going to happen is God will do whatever, whatever he has to do to get you back to where you belong. And if that hurts, it just hurts. And if you struggle, you just struggle. And if it's hard, it's just hard. But God's not going to let go of you. And in those times when you've drifted from him, you need to recognize he's going to do what he has to do to get your attention. And so God sent Elijah to the people of Israel. Now, Ahab had encountered Elijah before. The Bible says that the Lord had sent Elijah to stand before the king and declare, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Ahab sat in, his, uh, sat in his throne room, and all of a sudden this prophet came from nowhere, and he spoke out a word, and he said, I want you to understand something. This is what God is saying to you. You're about to see a drought like you've never seen. You're going to experience a famine like you've never experienced. And I'm telling you, until I relent, no rain will fall. And everything's going to dry up and die. With those words, Elijah left the throne room. The drought began, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. Israel turned into a barren wilderness. 
The crops failed, the livestock died, the rivers and the creeks became dry and barren. People spent all of their time just trying to survive. During all those days, God did not relent, and Elijah could not be found. Three and a half years with no rain. And every day people would say to themselves, surely tomorrow, surely next week, surely next month, the rains will come. But God kept his promise. You ever find yourself in that kind of situation? Oh, maybe not physically, but spiritually. Those times when you feel as though your heart has become spiritually dry. I can't hear what God is saying. I can't respond to him. I'm not sure what to do. I think all of us have gone through times when we feel as though I can't hear what God is saying. My soul is getting dry. The barren seasons are the time when we have told the Lord we can get along fine without him. Again, maybe not turning drastically, but gradually in our lives we begin to say to God, I don't need you the way I thought I needed you. I don't need to spend time with you. I don't need to seek you in prayer. I don't need to depend upon your touch. I don't need you. I can do this all by myself. We're sure we have the wisdom and the experience and the ability to face whatever comes. And we don't have to depend upon the Lord. What we usually don't understand until much later is that the moment we make that kind of decision is the moment the drought begins. Oh, it doesn't mean you'll go hungry. It may not mean you'll lack for water to drink. But you will know my heart has dried up. My soul is not right. You experience the spiritual drought of living without the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. No guidance, no blessing, no answered prayers, no sense of God's presence. You see, when you decide and when I decide, Lord, I can do this without you. I can do this on my own. The Lord will honor your decision. And he'll let you do things all by yourself. Without his presence. Without his help. He allows you to experience what life without him is like. And it may take some time and months may go by. But the day will come when you'll realize I have allowed myself to drift from God. And now I'm in a barren place. I need to find a way back to him. And this is what the Lord showed me this week. And there is an antidote to spiritual barrenness. And God reveals it in that first encounter with Ahab. You see, Elijah describes the Lord as the one before whom I stand. Thus says the Lord, before whom I stand. 
You see, Elijah understood that God's approval mattered more than any other priority in his life. While he was coming to announce the coming dryness to Ahab, he was saying, I know where the source of my refreshment is, and it is this. I live my life before the Lord. I care what the Lord thinks of me more than I think of, uh, care about anybody else's concerns. I'm not worried about whether I have your approval, King, or whether I have the approval of the people around me. I can't, I can't help it if other people are going to reject me because I follow the true God. This is what I know. I live my life before the Lord. And that's something we all need to remember. You know, we're living in a time now where the idea of being a serious believer is kind of becoming something that brings us under criticism. The world around us is beginning to say, how can you take your faith seriously? How can you practice biblical principles? How can you believe in what the Bible says about how we live and what we live? And in those times when you may face criticism, rejection, skepticism, those are the times when you say to yourself, but I don't live before you. I live before the Lord. You know, we live in an interesting age, don't we? Because we live in this virtual age, and it is an amazing thing that a lot of us allow our own self-esteem to be determined by somebody we have never met and will never say never see, but they write something on the internet about us, something critical, something judgmental. And we begin to say, well, then I need to change my life. I need to change who I am and what I believe and how I think and how I live because that person out there somewhere, that anonymous individual doesn't like me the way I am. How much freedom is there when you begin to say, but I don't live my life before them. I live my life before the Lord. I live my life for his approval. I live my life under his guidance. All I'm seeking is for God to approve of who I am. Because Elijah lived before the Lord and empowered him to stand strong before Ahab and it gave him a north star for his life. And that's the decision he calls us to make. We have to ask ourselves the question, whose approval matters most to you? Whose approval determines how you're going to live and what you're going to believe? What a powerful thing it is to be able to stand before the world and say, the one before whom I stand, it is his approval I seek in my life. The time came when the Lord brought Elijah back to Israel. The Lord sent him to force a decision. This is the story we really know when we think about Elijah, isn't it? How he challenged Ahab to pit him against all of the prophets of Baal. And Elijah proposed that each side built an altar and prepare a sacrifice. And they would take turns calling on their God to consume the sacrifice with fire from heaven. And whichever God responded, that would be the true God. Can you imagine the boldness of Elijah? There he was. He said, here I stand. Here I stand alone. And you gather everybody you can to stand against me. And we'll call on our gods and we'll see what happens. And Elijah understood something. I stand alone. And not only that, if my God does not come through, then I'm going to die. I'm going to die on this day. I'm going to be killed in his name. 
And yet he took his bold stand. And the Bible says not only did the 400 prophets of Baal arrive, they were accompanied by 400 prophets of Asherah, whom Queen Jezebel worshipped. And they called all of the people to come out and witness the showdown. And everybody was sure that things were going to turn out the way they wanted to. Elijah even invited them to go first. And the Bible says all day long they called on their God. Elijah declared, you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So the prophets of Baal spent an entire morning. The Bible says they prayed and cried out and leaped around the altar. They did everything they could to get their God's attention. Elijah stood on the sideline from time to time. He would mock them. He would suggest, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's away on a trip. Maybe you need to cry louder. Finally, as noontime came and went, they realized nothing was going to happen. And now it was Elijah's turn. And he restored the altar of the Lord that had been destroyed. And he covered his sacrifice with an abundance of precious water. And then instead of standing and leaping and crying out, he prayed a bold prayer. This is what he said. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. That I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me. That this people may know that you are the Lord God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And I love the way the Bible describes it. This is what it says. And the fire fell. It consumed the sacrifice, the water, the altar. In fact, this is what 1 Kings says. It consumed the dust around the sacrifice. Everything was consumed. The people cried out in wonder, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It was a powerful reminder of how serious surrendered prayer reveals the power of God. And it's not how much you say, and it's not how long you pray. It's the condition of your heart when you say the prayer. Lord, I am absolutely depending upon you. And God came through. And the Baal priests were done away with, and the people remembered that God and only God is worthy of worship. What a great story. But you know what? I have to admit this. My favorite part is what happened next. You see, that's when God revealed his abundant grace. The people stood in awe as the sound of the consuming fire died away. And then Elijah turned around and he looked King Ahab right in the eyes. And this is what he said. He said, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. He said, Ahab, 
your priests have been defeated. They have been destroyed. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You better eat and you better drink because the rain is coming. Elijah turned his back on Ahab. The Bible says he made his way to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed and he prayed. And he sent a servant to search the skies. And he came back and he said, I don't see anything. It's the same sky that it's always been. It's just as blue and cloudless as it's been for the last three and a half years. Elijah turned and he prayed again. And he sent him back and there was nothing. And he sent him back and there was nothing. And he sent him back and there was nothing. Seven times he sent him to look. And it was only on that seventh attempt that the servant had new news. But this is what he said. He said, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. I'm looking out to the Mediterranean and I see a single tiny little cloud But what are the chances that anything's going to happen from that? It's just not big enough to matter. And Elijah turned around and he looked at Ahab and this is what he said. He said, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. In other words, what he was saying was this. If you don't leave right now and begin your way home, your chariot's going to sink in the mud all the way up to its hubs, and you're going to be stuck in the middle of the storm. A cloud the size of a man's hand, and yet Elijah spoke out in bold faith. faith. And as swiftly as the fire had come, that little cloud became a sky filled with storm clouds and lightning bolts and wind that was blowing and temperature that was dropping and the rains came, not a soft rain, but a pounding deluge. And in mere moments, the lakes began to fill, and the creeks overflowed their banks, and the rivers ran in torrents. The Lord did so much more than even Elijah could have expected. When God poured out his grace, God poured out his grace. Because when we need him the most and when we seek him the hardest, God reveals himself most in power. When we begin to say to God, we're depending on you, we're trusting you, you show us the way, then God pours out his grace. Have you been reading the news recently about the culture wars taking place in America? Have you read all the different ways that people are in conflict and there's all kinds of struggle happening and all kinds of ways that Christians are experiencing uh, skepticism and rejection? And have you read all of that in the news? I wonder if you read in the news what happened in Asbury, Kentucky last Wednesday. when they had their chapel service. And when the service was done, some of the students refused to leave. And they stayed and they prayed and they stayed and they prayed and people brought them food and they stayed and they prayed and for several days, they stayed and revival began to break out. And I read that news and I thought, okay, Lord, this is what we need. This is what we need.
little college, Ashbury, Kentucky, the size of a man's fist. I wonder what the Lord has in mind. I wonder what he has in mind for our nation. You see, when we seek him, he reveals himself in power. I love this story. I love this story because it reminds me of some things we need to remember about our God. The first thing is this. It's not how many people who take a stand that matters. It's only what you are standing for. Elijah was willing to stand alone. He didn't have to have a crowd. He was willing to trust God if he was the only one trusting God. And sometimes we think, I can only do this if the crowd is doing this. But we don't need a crowd. We just need to be that one. That one that stands. And this story reminds us that God's timing is always right. It not, may not be the same as yours when you pray, but it's always right on time. That drought began right on time, and it ended right on time according to God's plan. And sometimes we say to him, Lord, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I seek. And then we have to pray. And Lord, I trust you to do exactly what is right in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. I trust you. And this story reminds us that there is great power in holy persistence. When Elijah prayed for rain, nothing happened. What mattered was what he did next. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't give up. Instead, he responded by praying again and again and again until he saw the Lord show himself in a mighty way. And that's what the Lord commands us to do in his word, to be persistent in prayer. Because here's the truth, and you take this home if you don't take anything else home with you. What seems small at the time can become great in the hands of God. It's true of a cloud, but it's even more true of your life. What seems small can become great if God is in it. And so many great endings emerge from small beginnings. God commands us through an Elijah story, be bold, be persistent, be faithful, and trust the Lord. So I guess that's the question this morning. Have you made that decision that you're going to trust him? Doesn't matter what anybody else does or what anybody else says. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world around you. All that matters is, am I willing? Am I willing to be that one 
fist-sized cloud that's going to trust the Lord. Maybe today that begins by giving your life to Jesus. You're here and you're not a Christian and you know you need to be. And in just a moment when we sing our invitation hymn, uh, these aisles are going to be open and I'll be here and Dr. Hutchins will be here and we would love to meet you and introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe it means I'm going to take my stand by placing myself at First Baptist Church because I want to be part of what God is doing in this place. Or maybe there's something else. Maybe it's time for you to say, you know what? No matter what, here I am, a believer. And I just want to say, I will follow him. No matter what other people do, I will follow him. Is there a decision you need to make today? Let's stand together. Let's sing. Let God's Spirit speak to you. It's been a good day in God's house today. I'm glad we were here together. Let me remind those of you that will be part of the Sojourner Luncheon to make your way downstairs after the service. And it's going to be a great time for you all to be able to invest in college students uh, that are part of our worship and part of our, our church's ministry. And we're really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time. And then I look forward to seeing you tonight as we are in the book of Romans and at 5 o'clock. And I know you might be saying, but you know, Jim, there's this ball game tonight. And I understand that. And, you know, I'm going to let go in good time. I just don't want you tomorrow to get up in the morning and say, I wonder what Romans said. I missed it. I wonder what Romans said. So we look forward to sharing that time together. Let's bow together for our prayer, and then we'll close our service with a final song. Father, we thank you for Elijah, that bold man who stood for you and was willing to be that one fist-sized cloud that stayed faithful. Help us, Lord, to follow his example and to trust and follow you. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.